So tonight, I stand before you because our city's charter directs the mayor to publicly address the council on the state of the city. I've never before hesitated to assure you that our city is strong. But I won't say those words tonight. Our city is under attack. Our daily life is unrecognizable. We are bowed and we are worn down. We are grieving our dead. But we are not broken, nor will we ever be. So let me pull up my script again. <laughs> hey, y'all, this is Chris Roth here with Bushido Scroll with your weekly knock activism wrap up. Today, we're going to be talking mostly about the coronavirus again, uh, specifically what it is that our city council and other entities around the state and county are doing about it. We're also trying this out for the first time uh, broadcasting live on Twitch while we are recording. So this is uh, this is a new thing for us. Uh, Hopefully we, yeah, we won't how, fuck it up too bad. Doing? Yeah, well, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> so how's uh, how is yet another week of quarantine going for you, Bushido? Uh, it's going all right, except like certain people are biting my style. <laughs> and it's if if I disappear and uh, Chris just starts doing my thing, just be be yep. wary of that. But yeah, no, other than that, it's, it's going really well. Uh, we've been, been making a lot of really good progress with the mutual aid network. So we've kind of made it a thing to like update that weekly um, as we're kind of going through the podcast. So, uh, as of now, we've collected over $125,000. That includes, uh, around Holy shit. That's uh, awesome. Yeah. That includes more than $6,000 that was raised by, uh, Miss Sasha Gray on her Twitch stream for power, uh, through the Tiltify, yeah. uh, platform. So that's been pretty cool. Uh, you can always head over to mutualaidla.org to, uh, sign up to volunteer, to request help or to make a donation. Uh, we're also onboarding a lot more volunteers and we're looking to expand our efforts quite a bit and like coordinate with other groups we're kind of at a point where we need to level up to keep doing this work and doing it effectively so uh if you do want to get active and get involved like now is a really really good time to go fill out the volunteer form we've got a lot of stuff going on we're uh making some really like we're kind of transitioning the way that we handle food deliveries and moving to to a more like bulk fulfillment process where we're basically going to be putting together a box that has a week's worth of food for an adult uh just because like we've been mainly donation based but it's hard to meet the amount of need that we're encountering now because like we went from just serving like single adults or like uh maybe a couple of adults in a household to now we're feeding mm -hmm. families of like five eight ten people um we've gotten some requests from some of the public housing units to uh feed like entire communities so like 50 to 100 people uh and we just can't really sustain that with donations so we're getting yeah. very familiar with how you buy like bulk supplies here in the city of la uh as well as carrying 50 pound bags of stuff up and down the stairs <laughs> uh so that's that's been pretty fun um but yeah onward and upward uh just continuing to grow and learn and kind of like figure out what we're doing as we get through this um we've very made cool. almost uh 300 deliveries now um which has been really good um and just kind of like increasing those numbers every week so it's been exciting how's your uh, how's your last week been 
Uh, my last week's been really good. It's been a crash course in how to operate uh, OBS, uh, which is the application that we're using to do all of uh, the Twitch streaming. Uh, that really has been like the the main uh, time sink for me lately has been trying to figure out how this application works, uh, figuring out how to get things queued up with Twitch. Uh, we can see the cat in your background getting curious next to you, Bushido. <laughs> but yeah, the uh, this it's it's been uh, it's been a good week. The, you know, being able to queue up that the live stream and getting the the ground game uh, live talk show uh, up and running is something that I thought was going to take a lot longer to actually pull into to action than it actually did. And it was uh, deeply satisfying to see that go off, even though we managed not to actually uh, capture that first attempt <laughs> at doing a, a live stream. It still went pretty well, I think. And I'm, I'm very pleased with what the results were. Uh, we're obviously going to be getting better at this as we do it more frequently. That's part of why we're doing this stream right now on Twitch is because it allows us to practice and practice will eventually make uh, not necessarily perfect, but significantly higher uh, production value. Slightly less podcast. bad. Less bad. That's that's the that's the first goal. So we're getting things together, like being able to do the cold open like we had today, uh, which is going to be good because then we're going to be able to, to imitate that when we do the audio formats and everything else. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Yeah, this is and like, we're, uh, we're going to obviously be covering Garcetti's State of the City address, which yes. uh, didn't get a heck of a lot of press this year for being uh incredibly brutal but we'll get into that in a little bit later yes so first we're gonna go and hop in let's see if i can make this transition work all right we're gonna have some random statistics popping up eh, actually not so random great uh so we are currently looking at uh this, this is this, the state of affairs and when it comes to the state of california for the coronavirus covid19 uh, as of nine last night, there are 41,338 confirmed cases of COVID-19 in the state of California. This is up 11,913 from last week. Uh, we had 1,718 new cases on Friday, which is 35% more than the number of confirmed new cases on Friday the week before. So looking at the, uh, the slide that we've actually got up on the stream right now, the you well, it just switched. Sorry, we'll figure that out later. Yeah, but those I mean, um, those those trend lines aren't exactly looking flattened just yet. No, actually, it's 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 uh exactly the opposite. So last week, we were talking about the fact that the new cases by day looked like it was flattening out, and you can actually see that in the trend line. Um, how it it looks like it's going down a little bit, and then suddenly it spikes up hard. Um, what is going on there is that there was a significant drop off in the number of cases that uh, per day reported on Sunday the 19th, where only 645 cases were reported. But there was a, a, a an absurd uptick in cases that were reported on Monday the 20th with 2,283. So almost four times as many cases that were reported uh, Monday as compared to Sunday, which is why uh, there's just this huge spike. Um, and this is the kind of reporting that really illustrates the need for that seven day average trend line, uh, which I am very thankful that the LA Times has been including in all of their charts that are related to this crisis. Uh, the other thing worth noting here, um, oh, did I mention that? Yeah, unfortunately, we've got the, the, the death toll is currently uh, 1,618 deaths uh, in the state of California due to the virus. 87 of them came on Friday. 
Um, getting more local on this, LA County is absolutely the epicenter of this crisis here in California. From the LA Times last night reporting on this, quote, nearly half of the state's cases are in the Los Angeles County, uh, which reported 1,035 additional COVID-19 patients on Friday and 52 new deaths. Long Beach, which has its own health department, also reported an additional two deaths and 22 cases Friday, bringing the county's total to 850 deaths and 18,539 cases. Later in the article, they elaborated by saying there are currently 1,858 people with COVID-19 hospitalized in LA County with 30% of them in intensive care and 19% on ventilators, Ferrer said. Uh, She said that while the overall number of cases has increased over the last few weeks, those indicators have remained fairly stable. Something else worth pointing out here is that on Thursday this past week, uh, just on Thursday, 93 people in California died because of this virus. Uh, When Governor Newsom was talking about the virus and the the strategy for dealing with it, he said, quote, "Uh, those should be sobering and cautionary statistics as it relates to the desire that we all have to get back to some semblance of normalcy and answer the question of when that will happen. Uh, In short, any real hopes of that we had of reopening California and in the Californian economy anytime soon are uh, really optimistic and uh, not happening right now. So, yeah, very and, sobering, very bleak statistics. And that that comes on top of the uh, U.S.'s total death toll that has now surpassed 50,000 people. Um, and again, doesn't look like the trend lines are flattening as much as, as we would hope they would before states talk about reopening. Um, Georgia may be opening uh, yesterday. It was kind of hard to tell. Uh, it looks like a lot yeah. of folks are not fully on board with it. Uh, the state of Florida decided to say fuck it and just like open the beaches up. Uh, and so like I think we're guaranteed at this point so. to see like another wave of infections coming because – As these states like open and people like get the virus and continue to travel around, we know a lot of folks that are carrying COVID are asymptomatic, uh, Mm -hmm. which is fine for them. But that means that they're now a threat to vulnerable populations with the ability to to pass it. It's like one thing we're not investing enough in. And there's been some talk of it, but we're we're not there yet is the the contact tracing that really has to happen. And I think also like folks need to understand like just how important that is to how the plans that we make and how it is we move around in our just regular lives are. If you've ever taken like an epidemiology course in college or kind of like ready of their materials, there's this exercise they have people do where they like give you a big sheet of stickers, like a couple of hundred stickers. And for like a couple of hours, every time you touch something in your house, you put a sticker on it. And that includes like your clothes, your Ooh. face, anything. <laughs> and just like in the span of an hour, seeing all of the stuff that you touched in your own home and like carried, you know, bacteria and germs from like area from like one place to another other place is very sobering like we touch a lot of shit man we do not keep our hands to ourselves no. and that's even just in our own personal lives when it comes to having millions of people out and about and active it becomes really really frightening especially when you take into account things like large public events that are going to like start happening again and apparently there have been you know some parties busted up by LAPD which like yeah. not in favor of LAPD busting up parties but also like don't have a fucking party at this point in time. Just save it. It's fine. Like we will, we will have a big ass party when we all get through this. Um, but yes. like right now, we're we're seeing sort of the same stuff happening on a national level, and we we haven't really talked about it because it's still, 
not really settled what's going to be happening, but we've seen governors mm-hmm. break out into sort of regional blocks. Like we're almost seeing the U.S. moving towards balkanization to, to decide when they're going to open their states up as like a regional block. So like the West Coast yep. is kind of thrown in together. Uh, some states in the South have thrown in together and the Northeast have thrown in together. Um, and that's like, I think, a good thing for a lot of these states that are very interconnected and tied together economically and culturally. Um, having them operate as a block makes a lot of sense. Uh, it doesn't make as much sense to have those blocks of states fighting with the federal government, um, at yes. least until the federal government can guarantee us each a daily injection of bleach. Um, you know, until <laughs> until we can Jesus deliver that, Christ. you know, I don't think we need to talk about opening any states <laughs> at all. So this is actually uh, really sobering. I, I had a I was having a conversation with my dad yesterday um, relating to like what the state of affairs is with coronavirus across the country. And he was very optimistic about what was going on in Colorado. And I, I actually uh, was just looking at the statistics this morning. And apparently yesterday was like a 30 or 40 percent spike in the number of new cases in Colorado. So they had been planning on reopening things and starting up some businesses again. I believe like uh, salons and barbers are going to be able to, we're going to be able to start cutting hair. Uh, I'm thinking that given the the recent spike that they just had, that it's basically making people aware of the fact that there, there was like, a, you know, there's an attention fatigue when it comes to anything like this, because we've been bombarded with stories about the coronavirus for two months now. And it's, We've been under quarantine lockdown for, six, what, six weeks, seven weeks? I honestly can't keep track of it anymore. 49 days. But it's 49, so yeah, seven weeks. So this is, it's a, it's, a, um, it's a taxing experience mentally, and it really draws it out of us in a very meaningful way that makes it difficult for people to maintain that sense of urgency, right? So we, because of this, like, uh, saturation effect of this, of the story in the news, people are just like, okay, well, you know, you know, stop. I can't keep paying attention to it. I can't keep, uh, my heightened level of vigilance when it comes to touching things, washing hands, using hand sanitizer, wearing gloves, wearing masks, all that stuff. It's become so much of a routine that it's kind of like the, the level of attention is kind of dropping off. And I'm worried that that's what we're, that's part of why we're seeing like this, re uh re-engagement of the of the curve spiking back up and I'm, as i'm saying this i'm looking at the new cases by day curve for the state of california and it's terrifying because it is not leveling at all like it's going to get much worse before it gets better yeah and it's it's also this is doubled with new information we've gotten about whether yes. or not being infected with covid uh grants you immunity um and some yeah. uh, and th- this is kind of like this is really heady stuff, and I don't think any of us yep. uh, have medical doctorates or are epidemiologists, so we're going to have to rely on the experts. But this is one of those things you always assume, like, growing up in just your, like, high school-level biology class is like, oh, you got chicken pox, and now you're immune to that forever. Yes. It doesn't appear to be working that same way with COVID, and that creates a real problem for states that are trying to open up with, like, immunity passports or a certification like, oh, this person is now immune, uh, and whether or not, like, donating blood plasma with the antibody is going to be super effective over the long term. So Mm -hmm. let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so the World Health Organization, you know, that thing that Trump decided we're not going to be funding anymore, uh, released a statement regarding the idea that has been footed by, you know, many leaders in in states uh, around the country and and other, uh, you know, international leaders as well, these immunity passports, which it's vague at best what they were really hoping to do with it. But um, 
just going to go straight into what the WHO said in their scientific brief. They said, quote, the WHO has published guidance on adjusting public health and social measures for the next phase of the COVID-19 response. Some governments have suggested that the detection of antibodies to the SARS-CoV-2 virus that causes COVID-19 could serve as the basis for a, quote, uh, immunity passport or, quote, risk-free certificate that would enable individuals to travel or to return to work, assuming that they are protected against reinfection. There is currently no evidence that people who are have recovered from COVID-19 and have antibodies are protected from a second infection. Um, basically, they're saying that there's nothing to prove that it is safe for us to reopen once people have been infected. And that is just absolutely terrifying because if you have the antibodies present in your bloodstream and you can still get infected, then this could just become the new normal is we are all trapped in our, in our homes and it's bleak. Um, well, and it's, yeah. it's one also where, you know, dealing with viruses, they evolve because they are living things and they go through that yes. process and they're essentially just little bombs full of DNA anyways. But when you spread that out over a population and all of the people asymptomatically carrying it, that's yep. more and more chances for the virus to evolve, to become something different. And, and that's one reason why the flu is such a pain in the butt is it's around yeah. every year and generally it's not too bad. But there are certain years when the flu strains that emerge as like the more dominant strains are deadlier or, or you know, harder on vulnerable and immunocompromised yep. individuals. And now it seems like we're just going to have to be moving forward with that same idea around coronavirus um, and one that like it's it, I, I don't know, I guess it seems like a tension between like our notion that civilization and technology and human ingenuity can overcome any kind of like obstacle that's put in our way versus just the brute force billions of years of evolution in viruses that are designed to uh, not be beaten by those processes and and how we run a modern economy, you know, with those sorts of things in mind. And like, this is sort of a debate that Garcetti gets into in his State of the City, and we'll talk about more, but I think it presents a real problem when we're talking about how we move forward and what disaster relief on a global level will look like, because this is our first like real run with like a global level disaster um, before the climate crisis really gets to us. And we're doing yeah. a terrible job. Like it's really yes. fucking bad. Um, and when we look at the folks who are dying from COVID, it is the most vulnerable populations, the most marginalized populations, the populations that even in like normal times are uh, experiencing massive levels of systemic and economic inequality. So, until we get over those hurdles, we're not going to have a chance against just the biology of a virus. Um, and that, you know, we, I think we have an opportunity here to begin changing the way that we do that stuff. And so let's transition real quick into uh, Garcetti's State of the City and talk about um, what he delivered for his yearly wrap up. So obviously, uh, it's very much like the State of the Union is mandated in the Constitution. The State of the City is mandated in the city charter. The mayor has to show up and talk about what he thinks the State of the City is for the next year uh, and then kind of introduce his budget. So uh, Garcetti delivered this speech on Sunday. Uh, it's about a 30 minute long address that you can watch. I'm not going to lie. Like, Garcetti's speechwriters aren't the worst speechwriters in the world. They turn a good phrase, and Garcetti has enough media training that he knows how to confidently deliver this stuff. Um, mm -hmm. He even cries a little bit at the end, which I don't know how much of that is, like, play acting and how much of that is real, but I'll kind of grant him that, like, he seemed very emotionally shaken up by this speech. 
But at the same time, uh, the speech was very much an iron fist in a velvet glove. Um, and underneath the flowery rhetoric, we're looking at massive cuts to city services to um, yes. what we need to keep our city running and stable and protect the most vulnerable among us. What Garcetti didn't talk about at all in the speech, and I've listened to the entire mm-hmm. thing a couple times, is the the boost in budget to LAPD. Like he yep. talks about and laments the massive cuts that he has to make to all of these other city services and how that's going to change the way LA looks going forward. But he doesn't talk about the fact that LAPD is getting a nearly 50% bump in its overtime pay, that they're, yep. they're the only department that is seeing their negotiated pay increases going through. And like some folks pointed out like, hey, these pay increases were negotiated with the police union, you know, two years ago, I want to say. And like, this is when they were scheduled mm-hmm. to go on. There were other unions that also negotiated pay raises that the mayor nixed. Like the mayor cut a lot of, uh, like all the other union contracts that had a pay raise scheduled to go into effect in 2020. Mayor Garcetti said, no, we're not doing those pay raises anymore. But the police union got protected from those cuts. Of course they did. And, Why would they do that? Yeah. And like LAPD, <laughs> keep in mind, is already 54% of our general fund. It's going to be more than that. Like it's probably going to be tickling like 58 to 60% when we look at the cuts that we're going to have to go through for this next year. And they continue to get more money, and they're probably the least effective tool we have in this, um, like in this fight. Like LAPD cannot shoot COVID to death. Um, they they can't arrest people into safety. They're really not a use that we need unless you realize that like LAPD's main function is to protect the people who have property and wealth and they want to be protected by the riffraff. Like you can see this happening on Melrose where like some very shishi boutiques have already like boarded up their stores, even though there is no civil unrest. Uh, But clearly the people with money are very afraid that those of us that don't have money are suddenly going to realize oh, wait, maybe this whole system is really, really fucking stupid and you should give people what they need instead of throwing out millions of pounds of potatoes because you can't sell them for enough money. But anyways, uh, before I go too far (laughs) off on that tangent, uh, we queued up some clips here of Garcetti. So we're going to go ahead and play these and we'll kind of like play them and then talk about them and uh, then play some more and talk about them. So let's go ahead and run that, uh, that first Garcetti clip. Yeah, so this first clip is about the cuts to the budget. So here we go. Tomorrow, the city charter requires, and I will release my projected budget for the fiscal year that begins July 1st. I always say that budgets are a statement of our values, but this year, it is also a document of our pain. Soon, many departments will have to operate at sharply reduced strength. Cherished programs will lose funding, while recreational and community services will see significant changes. We'll have to spend less on removing graffiti, caring for our urban forest, and we face sharp limits right now. Yeah, so uh, Garcetti announcing that we're going to see massive cuts to all the things that he's kind of championed as a mayor. Um, He brags a little bit later on in the speech, I'm not going to play the clip, that we filled enough potholes to fill the Coliseum, that we have paved enough roads to stretch halfway around the (laughs) equator. Uh, And this is Garcetti basically saying, yeah, we're not going to be able to do that anymore uh, because the police need more money for overtime. Yeah, that's just patently absurd at at every possible level. But the thing that really irks me, and we, we talked about this a little bit yesterday on, uh, or rather Ace was talking about this on the live stream, like LAPD, who is not facing any budgets cuts and are actually getting more money right now, we are seeing them around the city all over the place with not wearing gloves, not wearing masks, not observing any kind of social distancing measures. Uh, Ace was talking about going into courtrooms and and at seeing at the courthouse that like all of these cops that show up to do any kind of testimony or anything else related to the trials that they're showing up with no masks on 
or like they have them like in their pocket or they've left it in the patrol car or whatever. But like only one person with a mask on from LAPD that he saw at the courthouse. Like I, the couple of days ago, I was coming back from the grocery store and walked past the Shake Shack here. I had to walk out onto the street because LAPD had 10 or 12 officers clustered around the entrance to Shake Shack waiting to pick up their burgers and fries and whatnot. And I think two out of them were, were wearing masks and like none of them were wearing gloves. And they walked right up to the, you know, the frontline worker who's handing them their to go order, uh, you know, at the door of the Shake Shack. And I felt so bad for her because it's like when they, they turn you away at the grocery store, if you try to show up and walk in without wearing a mask, they turn you away from like coming into Chipotle. If you try to show up without wearing a mask, they turn you away from all of these different places if you're not wearing a mask. But LAPD apparently doesn't have to follow the fucking rules because they just do whatever they want. And they are huge vectors for this disease. And they're the ones who are getting put up in these hotels, you know, at, for like those. What is it? The Western Bonaventure? Yep. Uh, in uh, in downtown is currently being set up uh, and used as like an emergency, you know, barracks for LAPD officers so they don't go home and contaminate their families. Meanwhile, they're just running around contaminating everybody else because, of course, they can and nobody's stopping them. Yep. Uh, anyway, All right. So I let's don't uh, go off too long on that. Yeah, no. Uh, uh, and we. we we're going to spend a lot of time like hating on LAPD because they kind of deserve it, especially in this budget. But let's let's move on to the next clip, uh, the next clip where uh, Garcetti kind of talks about what returning to normal actually means for the city. And I kind of want to juxtapose this with with the last clip we just played. So let's go sure. ahead and roll this one. Go. And while we set the pace for the nation in so many ways, in innovation, in freedom, in belonging, we must ask of our city and our nation at this time, is normal really what we want to come back to? Because before this crisis, on a normal day in the United States, we saw a federal minimum wage stand still for years while executive compensation knew no limit. We heard the slogan of America first, elevated above actually putting all Americans first without pushing our immigrant neighbors into the shadows. We knew some families who could easily pay the full cost of college while too many of us drown in debt. And we had some friends who had better health insurance and better health, while others' bodies paid the toll of the discrimination in our society and the disparities in our medical system. Long before this crisis, too many Americans had been forgotten by a country that speaks about the many, but too often favors the few. So, so that was an interesting one because while Garcetti is decrying like what normal was before this, he's not really putting that in the context of like, hey, look at all the massive cuts I'm making that would help protect people from that normal or help get people out of it or change what that normal is. I also think it's really interesting that he is, you know, one of Joe Biden's uh, campaign co-chairs. And yet uh, here he is decrying the America that Joe Biden wants to protect. Like yep. Joe Biden's whole campaign is let's go back to Obama all of the problems Garcetti's talking about were there under Obama. It's really fucking terrible. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's move on to the next clip that we've got here because uh, we have some good ones clear, uh, cleaned up. So, but as a city, we haven't been waiting, not waiting to take action. We've been digging deep, passing record investments like Prop HHH and Measure H to deliver housing, healing, and hope to the unsheltered. 
So uh, this is an interesting one because again, like when he talks about the city doing this, it's not really the city doing it. It's it's us, the voters. Like the city has been notoriously slow on spending Measure HHH money, uh, and the county has been doing terribly on spending Measure H money. Uh, and it's weird that they keep trumpeting these investments. That remember, we're supposed to build ten thousand units, and we might get six thousand units out of them in the span of a decade. Meanwhile, the number of people living on the street continues to go up. And, oh, I'm just going to knock my mic around. Uh, but it, it go, <laughs> it's all good. This kind of just goes back to this weird uh, thing that you see going throughout all of Garcetti's State of the Union, which is we're in a problem time. We need to dig deep in order to survive this. We're going to create a better new normal, and we're going to create a better new normal by doing exactly what we've been doing to create the bad normal that we're currently trying to get away from. And he never recti- he never tries to reconcile those. He never talks about like how we could restructure or like redo the city budget so that it would be able to protect people. He's more just like, oh, hey, we should totally get on those things. And here's some like really cool ideas that the candidate I happen to be pushing for president does not want to do. So let's, uh, let's move on uh, to his rather bold call to cancel rent and mortgage payments. Like this one came a little bit out of left field. So let's play this one real quick and short. (laughs) Let's back with federal funds, a suspension of rent and mortgages during this crisis. So yeah, Garcetti saying we need to cancel rent and mortgage payments uh, and having failed to do that in the city of Los Angeles, it's very interesting that he's demanding that the feds step up and do that uh, because we could do that. Uh, He does at other points in this speech talk about our eviction moratorium, which isn't a real eviction moratorium. And as we're going to get into in the next section, city council is absolutely failing to do anything to protect renters or to make life easier for working Angelinos in this crisis. At the same time, like Joe Biden has said, you know, absolutely nothing about canceling rent and mortgage payments. Like we're seeing that coming from the progressive caucus and the leftists that are in Congress, like AOC and Ilhan Omar and Pramila J. Paul. Uh, and, and like, it's just weird to see him so out of step with his own candidate and his own policies, um, but definitely scoring some rhetorical points here. Uh, let's go ahead and move on to our next clip. When I released LA's historic Green New Deal, I thought I would see my grandchildren before I would see a sky as blue and as pure as the one that's outside our windows today. We won that sky by saving each other from a disease. So we didn't win the sky back. Like this is a a kind of a fluke because of the shutdown of our economy. And one that really questions, you know, whether Garcetti is, is committed to the Green New Deal. We've seen emissions in the city of Los Angeles go up every year that he's been in office. We've seen the number of vehicle miles traveled go up every year that he's been in office in the city of Los Angeles. We've seen asthma rates, cancer rates continue to be really high around our sacrifice zones. Uh, so this one is weird because he wants to open up the economy as soon as he possibly can. I don't know how he thinks we're going to keep his environmental gains with his failures of policy, but I also think it's funny that he's sort of trying to take credit for that and being like, oh, look, this is what I've been trying to do since I announced the Green New Deal. Isn't it amazing that we've achieved this thing by accident that I have failed to achieve through policy? Yeah, it's pretty uh, astounding. So, it you know, this is the fact that he... It, it, it fits it, but it also fits very well with what we saw out of him when uh, he first released that Green New Deal proposal. Uh, Jesus, it feels like it was years ago. Um, I guess it was a year and a half ago at this point um, when the, the Green New Deal for the city of Los Angeles was proposed by the mayor. Uh, it was basically slapping a label onto a 
pre a previous uh, sustainability plan that had already you know more or less been worked out didn't fundamentally change all that much of it just labeled it as a green new deal and then caught a hell of a lot of flack from like sunrise movement and other organizations for basically trying to co-opt the language yeah and we're we're seeing like now we're getting a you know we, we get this this massive reduction in the amount of like particulates in our air because we're dealing with a global pandemic and everybody is being stuck at home like you didn't do anything to meaningfully take action against the the greenhouse gas emissions you just told everyone they can't go to fucking work yeah like, it's a, sans the, this is not a sustainable solution sans the pandemic we would still be seeing those those <laughs> yes. environmental numbers like trending the wrong way um and it's weird that he's taking credit for that at the same time uh, i want to pivot here to our very last clip so the one about the the recovery uh and what the feds can do here because i think it's it's uh interesting well, to see garcetti passing the buck pretty much throughout this entire state of the city this nation has the resources to fund a real recovery and it must, so that we can hire and train the teachers, the homeless outreach workers, the contact tracers and lab technicians of the CARES Corps. Because the stark budget choices in front of us must not be the final word. Don't bail out banks, but leave cities with cuts and collapse. If you want to reopen America, America's cities are where this nation begins. So the, the CARES Corps is something that Garcetti is proposing that would be basically filling in for all of the stuff that we should be doing as a society anyways. Like he just mentioned, like outreach workers and mental health care workers and public health officials to like pay attention to what's going on. Uh, and here he is demanding or asking for federal government resources when we've got the resources in the city to do that. Like we could cut LAPD's budget in half and have $500 million to pay for outreach workers. We could use yep. Measure H and Measure HHH to actually hire the loss of workers that are supposed to be getting people into permanent supportive housing. This is just more of him like passing the buck. At the same time, he's got his rhetoric down. Like he's obviously on the campaign trail stumping for Biden all the time. And I think the speech shows a lot of those signs and also shows a lot of the water carrying Garcetti's going to be doing to uh, basically hide what it is that his candidate actually wants to do when he's in office. Uh, Garcetti talks about free college at a different point in the speech, something that Joe Biden is opposed to. He talks about universal access to health care and how private insurance is really bad. But again, Joe Biden isn't for Medicare for all. He's for an expansion of the ACA and the continuation of private insurance. So I'm kind of confused as to what Garcetti's game is here. If Joe Biden wins, the status quo isn't fundamentally different than what it is now. Like it's, it's still going to be the broken status quo that he was decrying in. Do we want the old normal or do we want to build a new normal? And we have a chance to build a new normal here. We're just failing miserably at that. And let's kind of, uh, let's pivot to the city council to explore this a little bit more because their 12 hour session on, uh, Tuesday, right? No, Wednesday, their 12 hour session Wednesday. on Wednesday accomplished pretty much nothing. Um, but Correct. they may be coming back into session, uh, I believe, next Wednesday, where they'll be talking about putting Dr. Phil on the Walk of Fame. So they still have important business to do. Like, don't worry, they've, they've got important stuff to do. Yeah, so basically, so I, I actually was, was live tweeting um, the first, what, seven hours of that meeting or something like that? Um, Holy Jesus. I, yeah, I... So fun fact, uh, Nuri Martinez apparently believes that uh, or just has no concept of how time works um, or just doesn't give a shit. I'm leaning more toward the latter. Um, but she kept calling these 20 minute recesses and without fail, like the two of them that I was there for, 
you can't really like go like when you when you know you've got 20 minutes so to say like to go and do something right go and make some lunch or go step away and make some coffee doing whatever 20 minutes limits what you're going to try to accomplish turns out every time that she called a 20 minute recess it went for a full fucking hour um like down to the minute like it was at 59 uh or 58 minutes each time before i would hear like because i could look back at my my timestamps on the tweets that i was putting out and be like oh Hey, look at this. It's uh it's like, okay, well, we've been on we've been on this 20 minute recess for 43 minutes. Wonder when it's gonna come back. And then if I started to do another tweet that was being snarky about it, uh, at 59 minutes, right as we're coming up at an hour, it's like boom, there goes there goes the audio. We can hear the uh the clerk calling up uh the role and making sure that you know uh is not taking a nap or something. Uh and it 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 just it's kind of funny uh to to have been part of that but it's also like deeply uh deeply annoying to you know have our uh our current um you know elected officials basically just running this meeting and having very little regard it seemed for the the way that the the public uh is actually being engaged with all of this i'm going to try to bring in some extra audio to amp up the twitch stream because people are complaining to me about it yeah that might have helped um but yeah so the uh the end result was that there was a lot of discussion early on a lot of uh legal finagling between like paul Koretz and paul kikorian uh offering up these these uh amendments and and uh, john lee as well offering up these amendments to a proposal coming out of Nuri to, or, or I guess it was agenda item number 10. And it was relating to a basically right of recall for hotel workers. And all of the fun story was that all of the things that John Lee proposed uh, were all shot down like brutally uh, after a lot of discussion. Um, and they all were basically talking about trying to limit the impact of how uh companies were going to be forced to bring folks back into the from the uh, from unemployment into the hotel industry. Joe Buscaino was his like main cheerleader in all of this. Um, they were talking about the impacts of like how hurting the hotels is going to hurt our one of our primary revenue streams with the transient occupancy tax, the TOT, also known as a bed tax. It's the tax that the city collects or the hotels collect for the city based on people using the, their hotels. Bet, uh, anyway, bet they feel pretty stupid about having given a billion dollars worth of tax breaks to these hotels over the last <laughs> decade. Like, wow, I'm, I'm sure they're questioning that decision. No, I, I, I don't think they are because I'm sure uh, that Jose Huizar allegedly uh, took a you know few hundred thousand dollars in a paper bag, allegedly, uh, that was contributed by somebody who was trying to build a hotel, allegedly. Uh, and yeah, so I, I don't think that they're necessarily regretting those uh, those tax kickbacks because they're not the ones that are being impacted this. It's it's the city, you know, the people who live in the city, not the people who are making these decisions that are going to be impacted. They are still going to be walking away with their two hundred thousand dollar salaries intact uh, for, you know, forever, because that's just what they get. Like they're not the ones who are going to be suffering from this, but unite here. Local 11, uh, was definitely like the bug in Nuri's ear, uh, in this discussion and was 
very uh, like there, there were some very brutal comments that were made by people calling in during the public comment period. I was trying to transcribe those furiously, uh, but it was really just uh, some very deeply uh, moving stories about people who you know have been living in L.A., working like at Chateau Marmont, like for 20, 30 years. And then they all got laid off summarily with like no benefits, no protections whatsoever. And they're just, it's like, look, there's nothing for them to do. And now they're, you know, coming to Mutual Aid LA and other organizations to, you know, ask for food and assistance because their employers just clearly don't give a shit. Um, but yeah, the, the, the real fun stuff all happened while we were working on uh, getting the, the live stream up and running for the, the Ground Game Live uh, talk show. So I missed out on a lot of the really fun stuff, but fortunately, uh, Emily Alpert Reyes was uh, not uh, otherwise engaged in extra, you know, she wasn't double booked for this one. She was definitely on point. Uh, and she's got a really great piece in the LA Times that we're going to be linking to in the show notes. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and quote some of this, and then we're going to pull some direct quotes from council members and public comment for a little bit more contextualization, because what was going down is uh, basically at the root of all of those car protests that you've been seeing uh, popping up in the news uh, from the Los Angeles Tenants Union and other organizers coming together to, you know, basically use their First Amendment rights in the only way that's available to them, uh, shouting at uh, mayors and, uh, well, the mayor and city council members and anybody else that they can show up in front of their house and honk and uh, carry banners and then uh, a couple of folks with megaphones and whatnot. Anyway, we're we'll, uh, just going to get straight into it. So, quote, the Los Angeles City Council balked Wednesday at imposing a ban on evictions that go farther than restrictions it has already passed, voting seven to six against a stricter moratorium during the COVID-19 pandemic. The broader ban proposed by Councilman Mike Bonin and David Rue would have prohibited landlords from evicting tenants, quote, except to protect the health and safety of other occupants of the property, end quote, during the coronavirus crisis. So uh, that is that's the, the 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 root of what this um what this motion was that was so uh shall we say spicily argued uh later on uh in in the meeting um they ended up breaking into uh closed session to talk about lawsuits at some point but uh when they were discussing this particular eviction uh moratorium expansion um continuing from what emily was reporting quote bonin instead uh touted advice from attorneys with the Eviction Defense Network, public counsel, and other legal advocacy group, uh, other legal advocacy groups who countered those arguments. This is talking about what this uh, L.A. city attorney had said uh, and said the existing law fails to, quote, discourage the initiation of the eviction process, which sows doubt and confusion, leading to renters being harassed and intimidated into leaving their homes, end quote. And I think that is the single most important, like, reason for really pushing for these the eviction moratorium to be like far more expansive than the the milk toast shit that we were getting out of the council earlier uh it's by making it like the law and everyone understanding that like they cannot start an eviction process that would save so many people from being pushed out onto the streets because the most of the people who are tenants in the city and that is most of the residents of the city of los angeles if they are being told by their landlord that they're going to be evicted, they don't necessarily know that that landlord is fucking lying to them. 
They don't know that that landlord is saying they're going to be initiating a process that they are legally not allowed to be going through with because they can file the court documents and then say that they filed the court documents to begin, uh, you know, a retainer against them. Like they can start that process and use that as a way of pressuring tenants into either uh, self-evicting or otherwise, you know, paying forward their, uh, you know, their, 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 their national relief money that they're getting from the Trump, the Trump bucks, right? Well, and there's, there's, I know there's at least one person. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I was going to say there's at least one person that, that we know, uh, that got a three day notice. Uh, and a lot of people in their building got that same three day notice, even though like, not only can you not file because like LA County courts are closed, but the ninth circuit court, uh, put an entire stop to evictions in general and was just like, no, like if the courts can't operate, you can't evict someone even on paper. But again, landlords don't really care. And these like processes are still moving forward. There's also a lot of landlords that are saying, hey, I know you got your stimulus stimulus check. You have to give me at least part of that as part of your rent. And there's even the case that's been going around where a landlord was using his tenants uh, social security numbers to check whether they had received their money and then pressuring them to pay rent with it, which by the way is just a fucking felony. And like you see that as soon as you log onto that website, it like tells you if you're not the person uh, like you can only check your own results. You cannot check like somebody (laughs) else's. That is a literal fucking federal felony. Um, But again, landlords don't care because we don't bring the hammer down on them. Like when a tenant does wrong, they get evicted and lose their home. When a landlord does wrong, they have years and years of court cases where they usually end up paying a fine that they can more than easily handle and then continue on with their business. And, you know, one of the things I don't know if we're going to get into it is the the during the public comment period of this this meeting, so many landlords called in and lied about what they they were doing and like how they were doing and whether or not they'd economically survive this. And no one on city council bothered to call them out. Meanwhile, folks on Twitter took all of five minutes on Google to figure out that these people claiming to be mom and pop landlords actually owned like 60 businesses under an LLC and have been doing this for 30 years in the city of LA. So again, like I don't think we're going to see a lot of changes to those tactics. And it's really unfortunate, especially because like if we have this newly uh, super well-paid LAPD, it seems like they could go around and like break the knees of some landlords and put a stop to this. But <laughs> well, then they'd be in conflict with the sheriff's department because the sheriffs are the ones who go around and post up that eviction notice, uh, you know, on your door if you're actually getting evicted. So then we could fun, see some cop on cop action. Fun fact: uh, the LA County Sheriff's Office does lockouts. So like, if your landlord evicts yep. you, they're the ones that show up and lock you out. LAPD reverses illegal lockouts. So if your landlord illegally locks you out of your place, you call LAPD to have them let you back in. (laughs) Yeah, it would make sense to not have two different uh, levels of uh, municipal uh, entities fighting with each other. Well, we can finally get that answer to, you know, uh, that question they asked (laughs) Villanueva as to whether or not, uh, you know, who would win in a brawl, LAPD or or LACSO? And I think I think this is a good time to find out. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. So uh, continuing on from what Bonham was talking about earlier, uh, relating to passing an eviction moratorium and expanding on things because, you know, the governor literally told everyone that they can and should do this, like that his eviction moratorium uh, that he announced at the state level was a, you know, a starting point and that they were all supposed to, he encouraged municipalities to pass stronger protections 
uh, if at all possible. So Bonin further pointed out saying, quote, it is absolutely something despite the guidance of our city attorney that we are empowered to do and should do. Uh, end quote, which is correct. Uh, the city attorney is um, making himself to really just he's showing his whole ass right now is what he's doing. Uh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. And the legal letter that was submitted, uh, or the letter rather that was submitted to the record, and they were having a big argument about whether or not it was going to get disclosed, ended up voting. Uh, was it six to seven uh, to or f- sorry, four to uh, let me find the actual number for that. It was like four. To, was it was like four to nine. Basically, it, it, the releasing the memo was not the popular move. Uh, but somebody then uh, leaked the memo to Emily Arpart Reyes, and yeah, anyone with nine, any legal right. training immediately started shitting on it because it yep. is one of the most poorly written legal memos uh, that a lot of people have seen. It doesn't cite case law. It doesn't do anything. It's just Correct. kind of of the opinion that no, we we probably don't want to do that. Uh, but like, I can understand why LA City Council wouldn't want to release this. It's fucking terrible. Yeah, it really is. Um, and so while, you know, when they were talking more about the eviction moratorium proposal uh, back in session, Councilman Mitch O'Farrell took to the uh, the mic to basically rant and rave about public defense or public interest uh, advocacy groups that are that are you know made up of lawyers like public counsel and eviction defense network lawyers and said, Uh, specifically of public counsel, that they had committed, quote, sins of omission in their legal analysis and should, quote, be ashamed of themselves. And this is this is right after those same legal advocacy groups uh, get a massive win over the city uh, in terms of 5611. So, uh, you know, maybe Mitch, (laughs) maybe Mitch isn't. He's just kind of full of shit. Shut the fuck up, Mitch. (laughs) Uh, So O'Farrell continued. He said, Quote, let's all get real here and talk about what we can and should do in terms of real policy. Uh, and then pointing to the proposals that others had touted, you know, by Bonin and Rue, continue, quote, pretend measures that we could not. Uh, sorry, talking about this, he said, pretend measures that we could not ever enforce uh, basically was a way of him denigrating what it was that Bonin and Rue were proposing. Uh, and that is well within the legal rights of the city to do like we we've got a perfect example of them implementing like a an eviction uh moratorium uh right at the end of last year because preceding what was it ab 512 like i don't even remember the numbers anymore uh the like statewide rent freeze there was a a loophole in that state legislation that said that you could you know that there was no protection for what was going to go with uh, what landlords were going to do leading up to the January 1st implementation. And so the city and the county both stepped in and passed eviction moratoriums that basically backdated requirements for landlords to not increase rent and not pursue evictions. And they didn't seem to have any real issues with doing it back then. But then this time around, they all fucking caved. Um, so a couple more quotes here. Uh, Bonin said, Quote, I think it's false hope to say that we have an eviction moratorium that really isn't one. Uh, yes, Mike Bonin, you are very much correct. Yep. It is absolutely a false hope to say that we have an eviction moratorium and make our tenants think that they're actually going to be fucking protected when they're not. Because folks like Mitch O'Farrell uh, voted, was it two weeks ago? Um, by to to literally just oppose the uh, original strengthened eviction moratorium that was being pushed. Uh, another one of the things that came up was there, there were landlords who were calling in to give public comment 
Uh, let's see what, so Miss Foster was, uh, one of these landlords. That's all she identified herself as, uh, this was at the beginning of the public comment period for the meeting somewhere around 11 in the morning. She was saying, quote, you are asking us to house people for free without a safety net for ourselves. End quote. Uh, meanwhile, I just, I also don't understand why landlords of all investor classes get a safety net. Like that's still the one that I'm trying to figure the fuck out. Um, cause yeah. these are people who would describe themselves as capitalists. Uh, and then their argument is, uh, you're not protecting us enough. So I, yeah. I don't know. It just, it, it just constantly, you know, short circuits my brain when I hear landlords talking about that. Absolutely. And, and another landlord, actually, before I jump to the Latu quote, uh, Joel Levine actually submitted a letter into the public record for this, uh, urging, saying to the council that, quote, we provided our tenants with a service at a price and that tenants agreed to in a lease. It's only fair that we be paid for our work, end quote. Um, Bushido, how about that work that they're doing? Yeah, um, I didn't know that, you know, passively earning <laughs> income was really hard work. Um, and it, it's it's one that's also, you know, it's amazing because when you're looking at landlords who are like, oh, I don't care that you lost your job, you still have to pay the rent. It's like, well, uh, I don't know how I'm supposed to do that. I also don't know why landlords aren't themselves organizing for protections. Like, because, you know, to an extent, there are land like mom and pop landlords out there who are, you know, tied to a mortgage who probably, you know, couldn't go for more than a couple of months without their rent checks and be able to, like, pay off the mortgage and pay off the bank. But that's why we should be putting the onus on the banks. Like, that's why things like uh, H.R. 6515, uh, Ilhan Omar's uh, bill to cancel rent and mortgages, you know, moves the the pain from the, the consumer levels like us and landlords up to the banks who should actually be um, uh, uh, carrying that pain and be like feeling that yeah. pain because they're the ones that have been systemically bailed out. They're the ones that have the capital to survive this. And Absolutely. also like they're the ones who created this fucking crisis to begin with. So if anyone's going to be taking a hit to their bottom line, it should be JP Morgan Chase. It should be, um, you know, Citibank. It should be the large institutional investors that we have right now that, you know, not only brought us this current crisis, but also brought us 2008 and 2000 before that and have basically been responsible for you know every fucking bubble that we've experienced in the last 20 years since they decided to get rid of Glass-Steagall oh yeah well in the context of Glass-Steagall yes the last 20 years but the you know the banking industry basically has fucked us over left right and sideways at every possible opportunity but anyway one of the uh, quotes from a Los Angeles Tenants Union member uh, Kevin uh, Varzande said uh, in response to you know, what happens if they don't pass these kind of protections, he says, quote, how are people supposed to go back to work making the same money that they were before if they're lucky and be paying that back when he's talking about back rent? This is why like, we want to have not just like a, a, a rent freeze when it comes to like increasing rents, but like an actual rent holiday, like actually giving people saying like, look, this is one of the things that they've been doing for, for homeowners when it comes to mortgages being like, nope, the banks, you can basically just tell the banks, uh, didn't make any money because of COVID, push my, you know, tack another month at the end of my mortgage, uh, suspend the interest payments for a month, suspend any late penalties for a month. And it just basically halts the mortgage dead in its tracks for a month, two months, three months, whatever the, the time being for whichever legislative body pushes it. And we can and should see that for, you know, if the landlords are getting that on their properties, which they should, uh, they should be able to pass that on to their tenants and the tenants, you know, whatever, it doesn't have to extend their lease. It can just be like, they don't have to pay rent because the landlord doesn't have to pay mortgage. Yes. There are going to be some repairs and whatever else, but 
this is one of those instances where there are other subsidies available for landlords to be able to be helped with this stuff. And they have so much more access because they already have uh, so much of a higher level of uh, just system systemic uh, power by having access to capital, access to legal support, all of these things. They are more familiar with like the paperwork system that has been in place because they've been landlords. This is what they do. That's the quote unquote hard work, right? Uh, versus, you know, somebody who has to go out and is uh, working as a waiter or waitress. They, the onus should be on the people who are, their hard work is doing paperwork. They should do some more fucking paperwork and make it all work rather than, you know, saying, oh, you know, you're my tenant. You, you know, we signed this document. The governor said that you can't go to work right now, but yeah, I'm still going to need that rent from you at the end of the month. So uh, pay up or move out. Like, yeah, no, the, the idea that, that a contractual relationship uh, bests anyone's like claims to health and safety or living 100%. in, an, you know, not dying from a preventable pandemic is kind of amazing. But uh I would say, you know, look into uh, Ilhan Omar's uh, HR 50, uh, sorry, HR 6515. Make sure to call your representatives, tell them to support it and co-sponsor it, especially if you've got like a progressive representative, because almost all of our reps in L.A. and Southern California do skew to the left-ish. They're at least Democrats for the most part. Tell them they need to get on board with this. And the weird thing about this is we're seeing people from right-wing districts, um, like some representatives from Florida who are very GOP, like rank and file, who are supporting this and this because even ghoulish GOP members in Congress understand that if people aren't working, they can't pay the rent. Uh, But let's go ahead and move on and talk about uh, what's going on. So this uh, last week was, was Earth Week. Uh, and th- we had some uh, online events to celebrate it. Um, there were some really good things put on by Movement, and, which is a coalition that includes uh, like SoCal 350, Food and Water Watch, uh, Sunrise Los Angeles, Youth Climate Strike, uh, Center for Biological Diversity, probably a bunch of other groups that I'm leaving out that I don't mean to. Um, but it was pretty subdued because we couldn't get together and do our normal um, protesting the state of the world thing. Um, but at the same time, we saw some really fun stories coming out this week to sort of like punctuate the environmental movement. And one of the really interesting ones was when the benchmark price of U.S. crude fell below zero. Uh, It fell as low as negative $37 in change a barrel. It has since recovered. Um, But this, you know, across the the world, there are several oil benchmarks that are used. Uh, Here in the U.S., this was for domestically produced oil. So the oil that was actually... less than worthless, uh, wasn't just like all crude across the world. It was specifically American produced, uh, crude, a lot of it from, uh, shale and fracking, uh, some of the dirtiest ways to pull oil out of the ground. But now that you've pulled the dirty oil out of the ground, you can't do anything with it. Nobody wants to store it. And one of the reasons nobody wants to store it is because we have a mini invasion fleet of super tankers (laughs) sitting off the port of Los Angeles right now, getting ready for a water world remake. So let's talk about that one real quick. Yeah, so let's actually start with um, playing this footage, and I'm hoping the audio works on it. I apologize. We are still trying to figure out how all of this Twitch stuff works. We're professionals. Let's let's go. Hey, cool. Yeah, so I I unfortunately had to rip this from the LA Times because uh, I couldn't get it from the original source, but it's the same stuff that the Coast Guard actually released to the public domain, and yep. uh, you're not supposed to copyright it, but LA Times put their watermark on it anyway. Ha. Um, so thank you, LA Times, for supplying this public domain video for us with a fairly loud helicopter. Let me turn that down a little bit for folks. Um, but we're looking at just dozens and dozens of these tankers 
hanging out right off the port of Los Angeles. And it, it does literally look like it's some kind of a crazy like mini invasion fleet uh, of doom. And it's just like toxic sludge waiting to come in. And of course, it is the toxic sludge that is the lifeblood of our current uh, petrol economy. But it's just terrifying. And uh, this is kind of the, the new state of affairs. All right. Thank you, L.A. Times. And I mean, out. look at look, so. look at capitalism's efficient distribution of all those resources. <laughs> God damn it. It's just no, it's 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 the price of oil is not going to be coming back up for a while. Nope. Um, and hopefully like the problem we have is we still run on petroleum based economies like we even yep. if oil crashed and people stopped producing tomorrow, we still couldn't run our economies because we haven't successfully pivoted away from that. This seems like a good time to do that. It also seems like a good time to reassess exactly um how we are engaging with the rest of the world and why it is we spend so much time and money uh, propping up oil producers because we spend literally hundreds of billions of dollars a year keeping companies like ExxonMobil and BP and Shell afloat while they like literally rape and pillage the world. Uh, we're not really doing that because so many of the jobs we have in the Southland are directly tied to this trade. Like the IBEW would get really fucking pissed off at us if we tried to stop importing gas and oil through uh, the port of Los Angeles because that's where a lot of the jobs come from. And this is what we're talking about when we're talking about a just transition is moving away from like the sense where like our economy is fucking broken and we all know that it's fucking broken yeah. but instead of like fixing that and returning us to a point in time or creating a future where we don't need to worry about this happening again because we've reimagined the nature of work we're just like oh shit we've all got to get back to the office and i just have a very rude awakening for people telling us all to go back to work i have survived for 49 days without having to put on pants while being productive i do not <laughs> plan to change that even when you send me back to the office. This is my promise to you. We will finally leave those barbaric traditions behind us. But it's time to reimagine work. It's time to, like, get away from this. It's also time to figure out, like, what the fuck we're doing with all of these extra oil tankers. Um, because we have so a lot, like, the in the, the last five years, ten years, I want to say, the number mm -hmm. of global, like, uh, shipping... Uh, Shipping firms, basically the the firms that own of those super tankers that own those those boats that go across the planet, uh, half of them have gone out of business because global trade has never picked up after two thousand eight. Like we've never recovered fully from the last global economic crisis, just when this one is hitting, and we're just seeing further consolidation. Like where we're going to come out of this crisis if things continue is that we're just going to see a further consolidation to the top. That we're going to see one firm that owns everything, um, yep. and so like. As much as I loathe Jeff Bezos, I guess we should it's all. Be Amazon. Yeah, it's just going to be Amazon everything until they until they rebrand as by and large. He's made twenty four billion dollars during this pandemic. Like it's unbelievable. Well, then they're they're going to rebrand as by and large, and they're going to bring in Fred Willard, oh, and God. they're going to build us a big space boat. And I'm just recounting the plot no. of Wally at this point. No, but yeah, no. no, it's it's not trending the right way. And this is what I'm talking about with Garcetti, State of the Union, the City Council, and then what's happening on a global level is. We know what yeah. we need to be doing differently, but nobody in power wants to fucking do it because they're too afraid of the, the disruption that that's going to cause. We're already at a disrupted state. Like, if we're going to fuck stuff up, if we're going to change the system, now is the time to do that. And I think we're finally beginning to see a lot of people coming over to the knowledge that, like, we can build something better outside of these power structures. That's what we're doing uh, through mutual yep. aid. That's what we're seeing across the nation yep. as, like, as these capabilities are built out. And it's not going away when the safer at home orders end because those jobs
jobs aren't coming back, the 26 million Americans that are out of work. And it's probably higher than that when you count the number of people who've like had to give up their, their Lyft and Uber driving because there just isn't enough work out there. But those 30, 40 million people are not going to go back to work the day after we're told we don't have to stay home anymore. That pain is going exactly. to linger for a long while. And it's time for us to reimagine work, to reimagine what it means to be a participant in the economy and whether or not we want to continue to be a country where the people serve the economy rather than the economy serving the people. So to that end, every Thursday night at 7.30, we got ground yep. game meetings. Uh, we're on Zoom. You can check in with us on social media or our Facebook page to get the link to that. We've been seeing a lot of people showing up, a lot of folks getting involved and like interested in what we're doing. It's really exciting to see that. Uh, even outside of the mutual aid network, we still have the 2020 election coming up. If you want to get involved with that, Drop in and see it as ground game. If you want to get involved in 2022, if you want to get involved in how we're going to redistrict the city of Los Angeles, we've got that going on. We've got Court Watch going yeah, on. We we've got a whole media team developing as we keep like popping up on your Twitch. We've got a lot of stuff happening, <laughs> uh, and we can always use more people. Um, and it's also a very low bar to entry. You know, one of the things that we kind of realized in the Jessica Salins campaign is you don't have to be an expert to make a contribution and that you can just hop in and start doing the work and that the bar to Amen entry to into this work is very, very low if you trust people and work with them. You know, it's not like you're going to show up at a meeting or like, hey, you're running your own like field campaign. No, 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 no. But we'll train you to do that in a couple of election cycles. You know, we can show you exactly what you need and give you the experience to then go out into the world and make that happen and see how these skills apply to a lot of different areas, not just electoral politics, not just organizing, but just the way that you might organize your personal life and the way you might organize your workplace, the way you might organize your home, you know, the the um, basis of mutual aid, the basis of horizontalism, the basis of this kind of like anarchistic organizing is that we trust and care for each other. And that's the basis that we're always working from. Injecting that into the public discourse, into the realm in which we run the economy is the next big lift for us. But we're finally getting there and we're seeing a lot of institutional power beginning to get built by progressives in Washington we have some big wins that we can get to solidify that power. We need to keep the pressure on the people in power to make sure that those happen. Um, 100%. And then we've also got some car protests coming up soon, right? Absolutely. So speaking of uh, taking things to folks at their homes, let's go ahead and start showing you a couple of shots from uh, some action that was going on this past week uh, outside of the mayor's house and other folks as well. Um, and, and this morning we, at uh, Mitchell Farrell's house, uh, CCED oh, yeah. is out there fucking Seven. up his morning, and there are a lot of cops there. <laughs> of course there were, because why wouldn't they be? Um, but yeah, the, the, uh, basically, this is what protest looks like in the city of Los Angeles these days, because we literally do not have any other options when it comes to exercising our right to peacefully assemble. Um, you can see these awesome little clips popping up. Uh, on Twitter, uh, all over the place from LATU, from CCED, from all of these other organizations that are out there literally putting themselves on the front line and confronting the cops who are, again, showing up and not exercising you know, proper social distancing techniques, uh, not wearing the proper personal protective equipment, um, and also giving citations to people uh, for, for instance... Um, we had two folks from K-Town for All and who are also members of LATU uh, who were at the mayor's house on Sunday and they were both cited and released after you know being cuffed and uh, pushed up against a, a cop car uh, because they were using megaphones in a residential neighborhood. And apparently you are not allowed to do that, um, but it still is not an excuse for them to need to be cuffed 
Um, it is absolutely disgusting that the LAPD felt entitled to do that. Um, and we've seen a number of citations being issued for honking your horn, which again, the, how that's a, that's a thing that they can cite you for. Of, is that now the new disturbing the peace? So if you were just shouting out of your window, that's fine. But if you use any kind of an amplification system, then it's a, a, apparently something that they can just cite you for and, and, and push you. Uh, back into, or not back into, but push you into the, the criminal justice system, uh, the criminal legal system, rather, because it's not just. Uh, it's just absurd. Anyway, there, there are ongoing protests. If you're interested in getting involved with that, the Los Angeles Tenants Union has a number of organizers who are helping to coordinate it, uh, reach out, hook up with them. Latsu has their, they're doing uh, weekly or biweekly uh, Zoom calls, I know, at least for the Vibe Local. Uh, other organizations, other locals within Latu, I'm sure, are having their own Zoom meetings focused in their own way. I just get the text for Vibe because I've gone to a couple of their meetings uh, and they're dope as hell. So uh, anyway, that's basically what we've got for this week. Uh, talking about the news on here. Let me go ahead and uh, fade that out. Yeah, there we go. Back to the footprints. Uh, yeah, so I think that's pretty much it. So and uh, yeah, I as think always, you can take us to the outro. Here we go. As always, if y'all have any events that you want us to be taking part in, publicizing, or just being made aware of, please send us a message. You can reach us through the Ground Game LA Facebook page. Uh, you can also find us on uh, Instagram and now on Twitch and send us a message wherever because we're now getting more and more plugged in as this uh, lockdown continues. This podcast in every Ground Game podcast is a production of Knock.LA. You can support our work over on Patreon at patreon.com slash knock underscore LA. Uh, check the description of the podcast for sources, links to actions, as well as social media links. Thank you very much for tuning in this week. I apologize for the fact that I'm 95% sure that my audio is only coming out of your left speaker. If you're listening to this on Twitch, uh, we will work out some of these kinks and make sure that we don't have videos playing with no audio and all of the other things going on because we're, we're learning here folks and just be patient with us. It's a constant journey. <laughs> it is indeed. Uh, okay. So anyway, thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, catch y'all around the same time next week. Yeah. And, uh, never lose Sign your sense off. of outrage. That's the plan.
Freddy Bamboy, 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 Freddy Bamboy,